Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to Becoming Sister Wives Book Club. This week I'll be giving my commentary on the second part of Chapter 4, Robin and Cody. But before I do, let's discuss the pink elephant in the room, Robin's alter ego, her best imaginary friend, the voice that she writes screams inside her head more than once, Shira. I knew Shira was an 80s cartoon character, but I never really watched it. I was born in 83, and I just thought it was weird and bizarre and creepy AF that she had named her defense mechanism, her alter ego, who she viewed as her friend, her stronger side, her protective barrier that she refers to as screaming inside her mind. And that was weird in and of itself. And I thought it was extra weird that she named it after this cartoon superhero, Shira. I knew Shira was a cartoon superhero, but not the details of how Shira works. Because just the fact that Robin named her alter ego and referred to her as a person who communicates with her screaming inside her mind was enough weird, bizarro world for me. I then learned from viewer Diana a bit more that Shira is the stronger side of the superhero's personality. That brings the magic out, and I didn't know the fine details. After that, it became even more creepy, even weirder, and even more ego-driven because who picks a cartoon character and a comic superhero to name their alter ego and protective wall, and then who writes it in a book and references the times Shira screamed in her mind, and specifically what Shira was telling Robin at different moments. It makes it worse, even more delusional in my opinion, and even more comical, with just a touch of more ego behind it if you fully understand Shira. Shira in the 1980s depiction is known for her incredible strength, and she has been shown multiple times to be able to lift not only full-grown men and robots, but also mountain-like rocks and buildings. She is depicted as being extremely fast and acrobatic, and her speed allows her easily to deflect multiple incoming energy blasts with her sword. Shira demonstrated a series of other abilities which appear to be more nurturing in nature, such as empathic understanding, mental communications with animals, and healing. Shira is viewed primarily as a feminist. Shira's primary weapon is her sword of protection. It appears almost indestructible and able to deflect bolts of energy, both magical and technological. So Robin mentioned feeling a thunderbolt of electricity when she first laid eyes on Cody at church and their eyes met. She wrote, All of a sudden he looked up and our eyes met. I'm not exaggerating when I say I felt as though I'd been shot through with a bolt of lightning. When this happened, I was stunned. I was embarrassed too, and I looked down at my feet. Shira, the cartoon character, gets shot by thunderbolts too, apparently. Is that where Robin got that analogy for how she felt when her and Cody's eyes met? Was that Shira's superpower from her sword working overtime? I find a lot interesting. I have never watched Shira, not the 80s version, and really not even the later Netflix version. I was born in 83, so I haven't seen the newer Netflix interpretation of Shira either. I think it's interesting, though, because I looked at how the 80s Shira was depicted, and she was anything but modest. She had supernatural powers, her sword deflected energy, she wore skin-tight short shorts or a short skirt, no sleeves, legs and arms out for the party, when Robin has to always wear a long sleeve shirt under a t-shirt in case, God forbid, a little upper arm action catches the wrong eye. 
Shira not only has superhuman strength and the ability to deflect energy with her sword, but she also has other more nurturing abilities, such as empathic understanding, mental communication with animals and that type of connection, and healing. And her sword that blasts energy is her sword of protection. I think it's interesting that Shira, the character Robin names her alter ego after, which is essentially her protective wall or defense mechanism to cope, is a feminist. When Robin lives as a polygamist, and Cody prides Robin, just last season he did, on being the obedient wife. Also, isn't magic something seen as evil or against God and godliness in general? I wonder what her faith thinks about that. Her abilities are nurturing in nature, like empathic understanding and healing. Robin doesn't seem like an animal lover. I don't know if I've ever once seen her interact with an animal on the show, Sister Wives, or if the family has a pet. Maybe they do, so I don't know how strong Robin's mental telepathy with animals might be. I just don't think pets and animals are her thing, or we'd know about it. I think it's interesting that Shira has empathic understanding. Many times Robin said that she has empathy and she can understand how others feel. It's interesting she views herself as an empath able to read and understand how others feel when she always only considers everything primarily from her perspective and self-interest first. And if it has nothing to do with Robin, Robin finds a way to make it about her. Robin may be able to read others' feelings and emotions, but she doesn't use that to nurture or heal. She uses it, in my opinion, to manipulate and to create a narrative that suits her and paints her in the softest light. She has said she has lots of empathy and she knows how this person feels, how that person feels. One example of Robin using her empathic skills was during the honeymoon when Cody let slip, we decided to give them some of what they want. And the we was himself and Robin and them he was referring to were his other wives, his original wives. We decided to give them some of what they want. In that situation, Robin told Cody he had to grow up and he didn't want to call his wives for a few days because he knew they'd be frustrated that he was away for 11 days with his new bride. Robin insisted Cody call immediately and that he connect individually with each wife because she knew otherwise they would create narratives in their minds and spin or feel bitter and resentful or take emotional roller coaster rides. So she had Cody call and she helped him with what to say. And all his wives decided that Cody improved because he grew as a man and it didn't have to do with Robin, as Robin was the one who actually got Cody to call and coached him on what to say. And his wives denied it had anything to do with Robin who orchestrated this improvement in him. Cody and Robin as a team handle each separate relationship Cody has with his wives to some degree. Otherwise, why was Cody saying, we decided to give them some of what they want? Robin, as a woman, reads the wives' needs and feelings, and she guides Cody with what they might want to hear to feel more secure for the moment. And she helped him with Janelle, who wouldn't pick up the phone for days. And then finally, Janelle gave in and picked up the phone, and she said Cody said all the right things, and suddenly everything was okay. Robin knew why Janelle was upset, and she helped Cody with what to do to connect, what to say, what crumbs to give where to whom to manage the other wives' insecurities. So is Robin nurturing and using empathic understanding and her ability to read people and what they need for healing and nurturing like Shira, 
or is she doing it in a more manipulative manner to her benefit and to Cody's benefit? Another example was Robin understanding she needed to bond with her sister wives, so she took them wedding dress shopping, and she didn't find a dress. She went with Cody, who picked the dress, and she wasn't going to tell the wives so they wouldn't know the experience was manufactured. And actually, Cody picked the dress, and she wanted it kept quiet to keep the rapport and bond she felt she forged with the wives. Was that healing and using empathy to nurture or to try and manipulate? She said she wanted to keep both experiences sacred and separate. She understood that not all of the wives were Team Robin and that taking them dress shopping, the quintessential bridal experience, save for the bride's closest loved ones, that taking the sister wives to that experience who thought they were genuinely there picking a dress for Robin when really she went with her husband, her fiancé, to buy one and she wanted it kept secret not to lose points. She scored with the women and she knew that she was going to score with the women by taking them to do this experience. She had the understanding to know the wives needed to feel important and appreciated by Robin and she knew that that's a huge honor that she was giving them and that that would create rapport among them and a bond and she gave the wives what she thought they needed to like and accept her and it wasn't necessarily genuine and from the heart and an authentic experience. She went with Cody and he picked the dress and she didn't want it known. And she told the wives her dress was a surprise until the wedding day when they wondered which dress she picked as they spent hours with her, helping her with the fake experience, believing it was real. So I just think it's interesting. Her superhero is a feminist when she is seen as the most obedient wife to Cody and the favorite and that her alter ego is named after a superhero who has high empathy and healing powers and nurturing all things she claims that she possesses herself. But then she uses that empathy in a manipulative way to her advantage or to spin her narrative as the good-hearted victim in the story. Shira is supposedly Robin's best self using empathy for good, being a strong woman and a feminist, when in reality she uses her empathy, the ability to read people, to manipulate to her benefit. And she is prided by Cody last season when he says repeatedly she is the obedient wife and she causes more discord than healing in the family dynamic and with the other wives. So Shira is definitely an interesting choice of alter ego and to name your alter ego self-proclaimed after a superhero. It makes it even more comical and delusional in my opinion. Okay, let's get into the episode. For a quick refresher, last book club episode ended with Robin and her kids making an impromptu road trip to Lehigh, driving 300 miles to visit with Cody and meet the whole family after Cody and Robin have only met a handful of times. Right before the barbecue that she is going to attend, Cody asks for Janelle and Christine's approval of Robin, and this is before they have ever met Robin or heard much about her, and they are being told about Robin way after the whole process is already in progress, and Cousin Reba has already spoken with Mary and Cody about their intentions with Robin, and only after this are Janelle and Christine being told of Robin and the full picture about her and asked to give their approval before even meeting her or knowing much about her. Robin arrived at the barbecue and Cody expected them to hit it off. And Robin has barely said hello to Cody as he is flipping burgers after putting his second and third wives on the spot, begging for their approval at the last minute. Robin says she has no idea what to expect at the Browns. 
The first thing she noticed were three convertibles parked in the driveway, and Robin thought they were showing off just for her. She asked Reba, her cousin, if this was an episode of MTV Cribs. Reba embarrassed Robin and repeated that to Cody and asked him if he wants to make it for convertibles. Robin says she wanted to kill her. If she were too off pesky cousin Reba, would she blame it on Shira, her alter ego, and go for an insanity plea, I wonder? Robin walked into the one big house in Lehigh where each wife had her own separate apartment and it overwhelmed her. She was nervous. Reba was parading Robin around and Robin says it's not her style. Everybody was staring at Robin, especially Janelle and Christine, who had never met her before. Mary was friendly and sweet. She stuck by Robin's side, laying claim to her friendship. Robin was uncomfortable with all the eyes on her and she wondered what she was doing there in the middle of this family. Robin says, after all, she's not the type of woman who chases married men. Didn't Robin say earlier in this chapter that she always knew, in fact, that she had a testimony that she would live plural marriage? But now, she's not the type of woman to run after married men. She says during the cookout, Shira was screaming the entire time, Leave! Get out! Go! This is scary! It's so bizarre to me, rather than like a mature middle-aged adult saying, I felt intimidated and like I wanted to leave. This situation made me anxious. She refers to her fear as another person, as this superhero character in her mind, Shira. To distance from herself and her own feelings, she uses her alter ego, naming her Shira, saying Shira was screaming inside her mind. This is scary shit, IMO, and I hope she utilizes therapy, in my opinion. It makes me wonder, does Robin feel it's a weakness to feel nervous or anxious or vulnerable and own up to it? And is Robin ashamed of her insecurities? And because of her ego and superior grandiose sense of self that she uses to mask this, does she, rather than own her feelings as her own, distance herself from them by creating this alter ego? Another person she names and attributes everything she perceives as a weakness or insecurity that she needs to protect herself from to this Shira character she created in her mind. I hope she goes to therapy, in my opinion, and I think a shrink would find this all very interesting, but that's just my opinion. How did Cody feel about Shira screaming at his barbecue, I wonder? This is a lot. Cody says he felt electricity between them that night. But Robin was working hard to prevent that connection. She had a wall up and she wouldn't allow herself to be open and she hid behind her wall. However, there was one moment when the wall completely crumpled. Janelle left the cookout early, but some of her younger kids were still up and about. And when Janelle said goodnight, Cody told her he would put Savannah to bed later. Robin wanted to check on her kids and she didn't know where to find them in the huge house and as she walked through Mary's section she spied Cody washing off Savannah's dirty feet in the kitchen sink from running through the yard. Cody didn't know Robin was watching him. Shira too I presume. I wonder if this kept the voices at bay. Robin writes of spying on Cody with Shira. I couldn't take my eyes off of him as he scrubbed something sticky off of Savannah's feet so she would be clean and comfortable while she slept. The love and care he put into this simple gesture was astounding. 
No one nagged him to do this. He wasn't trying to impress me. He simply cared enough to make sure that her feet were clean. I was struck by this moment. It broke through the hard, bitter shell that I directed around myself. But even as I watched Cody, I reminded myself not to fall for him or for anyone else in that house. Here's my take. First of all, maybe Savannah stepped in dog shit and her feet had to be washed. Maybe her feet were just plain old money from running in the yard. And before putting his child in bed, Cody knew her feet had to be cleaned. Any father would put their kid to bed and if their kid had dirty feet and it would make a mess in the house, on the floors and on her sheets in her bed, of course, any decent human, any decent father would clean their child's feet. Who wouldn't? It's nothing extra sweet or commendable. Beyond it's a normal behavior Cody should be doing as a father. And most fathers participate with their kids. Most fathers care. People shouldn't get participation awards and sticker chart gold stars for doing what they should do to be a decent, good, upstanding father. Cody did what anyone should do as a human being, as an adult, and as a father. Would it be better to have muddy footprints around the house and mud on Savannah's bedsheets, or should he clean her feet? It's a basic, necessary move. It's nothing extra, nothing particularly impressive. Yet Robin is acting blown away that Cody did what he should as the adult caregiver in the situation. She's acting like Cody fed the homeless or built Noah's Ark because his kid had dirty feet and to prevent a mess on the floor or in her bed, he cleaned her feet as he should. He did something he should have done. It's not anything that's extra heartwarming. The next day, Robin met the Browns at Sunday school and Reba and Robin were talking to Cody, Mary, and Christine, who were happy to see her. Mary asked Robin, would you like to come to lunch, to dinner, forever? Robin turned beet red, but she agreed to go to lunch. After church, Robin returned to the Browns' house. She and Cody were left alone. Janelle was off to Wyoming picking up her older kids. Christine was going in and out, and Mary was out on an errand. It was awkward, as she and Cody were all alone. Cody saw Robin's discomfort, and he began teasing her. It didn't work to ease her comfort, so Cody began digging into Robin's past to find out what led her to her current situation. The 30-year-old divorcee with three kids. Robin told Cody she preferred for all of his wives to be home to tell everyone the story all at once. Eventually, all the teenagers got home and they walked in all at once, storming the house. Robin recalls Cody walking up to Logan, his oldest son, and hugging him like he was his best friend. All the kids and adults were talking at once. Everyone was so happy to see the kids and the older kids were so happy to be back home. Robin says it was loud and chaotic, but also lovely and remarkable. She says everyone was so engaged with one another. It was the most dynamic atmosphere Robin had ever encountered. It's interesting how the vibrancy and love drew Robin in, only for her to be like a parasite, sucking all of that energy dry and disintegrating that carefully created and balanced dynamic Cody had with all of his wives and kids. Cody was never perfect, but he seemed to at least be connected to his kids, and he seemed to do his best with equal time with each wife and set of kids in the big house before Robin entered the picture like a tornado ripping through their existing ecosystem. Everything that was once 
lush and green and verdant, sprawling with life, is now dry and brown and shriveled and withered as the fabric of the family has disintegrated and frayed with the changes it took to absorb the damage caused by Robin's entrance into the family. Christine foreshadowed that some women only want the man. They aren't as interested in the whole family. And we really see what happens when the new wife coming in makes the man her priority and refuses to put the team's interests ahead of her own self-interests as a priority. We have Cody, who openly says his family is an obstacle to his goals in life. He also says his wives are obstacles to his goals in life. In my opinion, Cody has used a pandemic to create his own self-made mandates that are impossible to follow when you have any type of responsibility like a family to run, a job to live off of, school to attend to get a degree, and he used this as an excuse to live monogamously at Robin's house, no longer even calling his kids. He used to call regularly because he felt disrespected and disobeyed when they weren't able to blindly acquiesce to his mandates. Cody refused to visit his wives' homes, citing their inability to follow his rules that were more stringent than the CDC guidelines, because apparently Cody has superior knowledge to the CDC, and he even stopped communicating with his kids over the phone, where there is no risk of spreading any germs. So we see Christine is right that sometimes when a woman just wants the man and not the family, what type of seeds of discord it sows within the larger polygamous family. Christina's left. Cody has a non-existent relationship with Mary. Janelle's relationship seems to be on the rocks, but everything is just wonderful with Robin. Robin says it was clear to her how much the family loved each other, and it occurred to her and dawned on her how much she and her kids had been missing out on a stable, thriving environment and a family experience. Her top priority that she wanted for her kids was always a good family. And here it was in front of her, a family overflowing with love. Robin says everyone was talking all at once in typical Brown style, seeing who could speak the loudest. And she fell in love with Cody's family before she fell in love with him. If Robin was so in love with Cody's family, why was she willing to let them all have less so she could have her rental and her whole existence paid for without working to contribute financially to the family's pot. If she loved the family over Cody, why did she always seem to put her own interests ahead of the family's time and time again? If she so loved the family, why do her and her kids get different treatment and standards than the other wives and kids in the family? Robin says Cody impressed her. He was everywhere all at once, meeting his kids' needs, wiping a nose, picking things up, helping with dishes. He was checking in with his wives. He was going out of his way to make sure everyone was okay. First of all, Cody knew Robin was scoping him out, so of course he played the role of a loving husband and father to the max to win her over. Secondly, Cody doesn't meet all of his wives' and kids' needs. Look at Isabel. She needed him. She was in pain. She needed this surgery. It wasn't cosmetic. It wasn't optional. It was major surgery that could be life-threatening. And Cody refused to go. He initially suggested she go alone during a pandemic in pain at barely 18. Then her mom had to assure Isabel she would never go endure major surgery alone, that Christine would always definitely accompany her. Cody refused to go to either support Christine or Isabel, and he referred to this mandatory surgery as a vacation, and he tried to dissuade Isabel 
from her needed surgery many times, mentioning that she would be left with an ugly scar. Cody mentioning that Isabel would be left with an ugly scar traumatized her further. And then he asked if she would become a bitter old housewife if he didn't attend the surgery. And when Isabel woke up after surgery, the first thing she asked for over and over was her father who wasn't there. And Christine had to care for her daughter after major surgery alone. As Cody called this medical necessity and the trip to New Jersey, Christine's vacation like the ass he is, in my opinion. Also, does Cody meet his wife's needs, like removing intimacy to try and coerce Christine to change her behavior with sister-wife Robin, knowing that sex and intimacy is an important part of every unconditionally loving marriage to feel loved and seen and appreciated and to connect with his wives and he used that integral part of the foundation of his marriage as a bargaining chip to manipulate so does that meet the needs of his wives so i don't believe in my opinion that cody really meets all of his kids and wives needs beyond a superficial show cody says maddie who was 14 back then saw robin sitting in the corner and she asked her dad who that was. Cody had a joke with his kids over the years about taking on a much younger wife. The consensus among the kids was that the youngest wife Cody should take was a 28-year-old. I wonder if they knew about Cody courting the 17-year-old before he had kids. I wonder what their thoughts are on that. Cody told Maddie that was Robin and she was 30. And Maddie picked up Cody's insinuation and he says there was a twinkle in Maddie's eye. Eventually, Cody, Robin, Mary, Christine, and Janelle all sat together in Mary's living room. Robin told her story to them. She recounted everything she had been through, and she explained about her ex-husband and their destructive relationship. She told them all before things progressed, and she wanted everyone to know everything. She didn't want any secrets kept from the Brown family. As Robin was telling her story, Christine joked, Do you think our husband is cute or not? Robin didn't know Christine well enough to know she was only joking. Of course not. Robin is so tightly wound, she is probably in permanent constipated mode, and she doesn't see humor in anything, I'm sure. Cody writes, Robin explained that this sort of decision was left up to God and what he thought was right. Whether or not she thought I was cute was immaterial. He said that she was just there to figure out if this was something that God wanted for her. She was all business. Cody says this answer discouraged him because he was hoping Robin would confess to feeling the same electricity he felt when he was with her. Cody felt deflated and Robin explained pursuing a married man wasn't something she would ever do. Then why was she there at all if pursuing a married man wasn't something she would ever do? Christine teased Robin, yeah right you hussy. I think it's hilarious how coy and obtuse Robin is pretending to be. She knows she's there to pursue a married man. The wives know she's there to pursue their husband. But Robin keeps trying to pretend that she is holier than thou. She would never pursue a married man after she is visiting his home, meeting his whole family and his wives. And her cousin has already been over previous to this to figure out Cody's intentions. And she's there to see if she's a good fit. This is such bullshit from Robin. Oh, I'd never chase a married man. Get the fuck out. Like, that's exactly what was happening. At Christine's, yeah, right, you hussy, Robin was mortified. 
Cody was despondent by the evening's end. He wasn't just smitten with Robin, he was in love. Cody believed Robin had similar feelings for him and he felt maybe he was incorrect in that assessment. His poor little tender heart. Cody realized he had to court Robin's affection. Cody assumed just like with all his wives, they'd be head over heels for him and he could dangle the bait and pull back and do his normal bullshit. But Robin, being her manipulative self, played hard to get and not as into him, even though everyone knows why she was at that house. She made him work for it. She pretended he had to convince her. She was probably already convinced when she saw the house, in my opinion. This was her gravy train. But she played it cool. She behaved in a fickle manner. She was all business, mentioning God and religion. Because she wanted Cody to work for it and she wanted to make him jump through hoops and he's stupid enough to behave head over heels in front of her and to let her know his part of the deal was already done. He was already taken by her. She knew she had him right in the palm of her hands. It's like going to see a home you want to buy and you know you love it. It's perfect. You, it's priced right. Everything's great about it. Everything is as you like it. Do you act in love with the home or do you say, well, we'll see, we'll have to consider it, and you make an offer shortly to secure it, but you act excited around the seller? Do you act sold on it or are you measured and calm in your response to seeing the home in front of the seller? Cody showed his hand. Everyone, including Robin, knew what she was there for at that house, but she held her cards close to her chest, playing a game that she knows exactly how to play. She knew exactly how to play Cody. The next day, Mary invited Robin over and his wives had given Cody permission to get to know Robin. And that's the first step in approaching a new wife in their culture, or at least how the Browns do it. So Cody decided to speak his mind. He asked Robin directly, do you want to see if we can get to know each other? She responded, maybe, but she isn't asking anyone's permission, meaning she wasn't going to approach her father yet or the church leaders. Cody would have to do all of the hard work with Robin, and Robin wasn't going to make things easy. It's interesting to me, Cody mentioned with Christine, who he wasn't that into and married reluctantly, that she made it easy for him. Her dad encouraged it and wanted Cody for her, and Christine told her grandfather, the church leader, that if Cody asks to marry me, tell him yes. Cody felt heavy and reluctant and morose. He had a thousand-yard stare on his wedding day to Christine, and he describes it as a hard day. He had a thousand-yard stare. He didn't even plan a honeymoon. He just threw Christine in a car as they drove through the sticks of Montana, totally impromptu. With Robin, she expected him to formalize everything the proper way with her father and family and the church leaders, and she wasn't going to speak to them first or make this convenient or easy for Cody at all. Cody likes convenience, and for Robin, he was willing to put in the effort and work, talking to her family, to the church leaders, getting invested in every wedding detail, planning an 11-day honeymoon to San Diego with crossing off bucket list items. Cody was fully invested, jumping headfirst into the water. He vowed never to marry a divorcee with kids, not wanting to raise another man's kids. But for Robin, Cody was willing to go against his ways, 
what he wanted and what his initial wishes were to even take on her kids. That's how much Cody wanted Robin. And Robin didn't play head over heels with him at first, and it probably drove him nuts that she didn't seem crazy about him like most women. And so it drove him to conquer her, to go get her for his ego's sake. And that's why he made the effort to see if he could get her. And she is highly manipulative. And she knows Cody needs to feel like the absolute leader, like the man in charge, the head of the family. And she props up his ego and makes him feel like she relies on him, like she needs him, like she couldn't live without him. And she yeses him to death as she manipulates him, making him think things she wants are his idea, in my opinion. It's genius, but their personality types fit together perfectly. Robin says there are several ways for a woman to enter into a plural marriage. One way is for the woman to tell her father and her church leaders, after which they would approach the family. Robin was uncomfortable with this as a divorcee, and people in her community were under the impression that she was husband hunting. Robin says this was untrue. She says she had legitimate grounds for divorce from her first husband, but it still tarnished her reputation. This is so patriarchal and antiquated and ridiculous. No woman who was mistreated or even just unhappy in her marriage should feel like they are damaged goods or have a dinged up reputation for divorcing their husband and building a life they deserve. It's something to admire, not to be ashamed of. Robin was careful not to give the impression that she was desperate to be married. Who cares what people think? Robin didn't want to chase anyone. She had three kids, so to her, it seemed too bold and presumptuous to ask about a married man. In her community, she says, imagining that a man, especially one with many other children, wants to take responsibility for your kids is taking a lot for granted. Mary convinced Cody to talk to the church leader, and that's an important step in their faith, particularly so the church can make sure the man has pure intentions and isn't simply wife-chasing. The church leaders don't seem to be better judges of character than anyone else, in my opinion. Look at what happened with Christine. Her family was high up in the church. Her dad encouraged her to be with Cody. In fact, he hoped they would marry one day because of his commitment to the faith and his athleticism. And her grandfather, the church leader, who knew Cody courted a minor and put Christine through an emotional roller coaster, also signed off. So if that's their judgment, I wouldn't trust it at all. Also, a woman isn't an object who should need permission from any man or church to marry. Anyone. It's very antiquated and patriarchal, and it suggests that women are in a submissive role or don't have their wits about them enough to make their own choices, and I really don't appreciate that. It's a woman's body. It's her life. It's her decision where she goes, who she dates, who she gets engaged to, who she marries. It shouldn't be up to the father other than a respectful formality, and it definitely should never be up to a church or any other type of institution. The typically confident, self-professed alpha male, the exuberant, charismatic, man's man, the Cody Brown, was uncharacteristically shy about approaching the church leader. Why? I thought Cody was so wonderful. He was an alpha male, the best father, the best husband, the most athletic, the most faithful and pious. What gave him pause? Christine 
polygamy royalty and Mary, Cody's first wife, the HBIC, accompanied Cody to help bolster his ego. He couldn't go it alone like a man, and Cody was immediately given permission to talk to Robin's father. Why is the church in charge at all of when and if the man can call the potential wife's dad? The church should have no place in it whatsoever. As adults with free will, shouldn't the man be able to talk to the potential wife and then go speak to the dad if she wants? I understand that that's how this is done, but in my opinion, the church should have no place in it whatsoever. I know in their faith that these are the rules, but in my opinion, as adults with free will, shouldn't the man be able to talk to the potential wife and then go speak to the dad if she wants him to? The church shouldn't really be involved. Why is an institution inserting themselves and their control and power in the personal lives of the congregants? It feels a little culty to me, to be honest. I wouldn't be comfortable with that. Cody called Robin's dad to ask permission to court her, and Robin's dad was guarded with him. Robin's dad knew how badly Robin had been hurt before in her first marriage, so he was protective. He told Cody, you can't court her, but you can get to know her. No chocolates, no flowers, and no love letters, he warned Cody. Since Robin and Cody lived so far away from each other, they talked on the phone often. Robin also kept in contact with Mary. Eventually, Robin and Cody started visiting each other on weekends. Whenever Cody visited, he brought along a wife or some of his kids so that Robin could get to know the family better. Robin asserts during this process, she and Cody were very chaste. They never hugged. They only held hands rarely and only for prayer. The only time they were alone together during the getting to know each other part of the process was to go on a grocery store run. Soon, Robin started falling for Cody. She felt safe with Cody and comfortable with his family. Robin writes of Cody, Cody did and said everything perfectly. He proved himself to me effortlessly. However, I was still waiting for a eureka moment when I'd know without a doubt that I was meant to be a part of Cody's family. I wanted fireworks and fanfare. I wanted angels singing in my ears. I wanted a sign from God. My first thought is regarding Robin saying that Cody did and said everything perfectly. This is a line that Cody's wives regularly parrot about the Cody Brown. If we recall in the honeymoon special, Janelle said she was angry at Cody. She didn't take his calls for days. And then one day she picked up while he was away and he said all the right things perfectly and all was well again. Cody knows how to behave perfectly, how to do the perfect things and say the right words. But just because he can put on the charm and come across perfectly, that does not mean that is authentic to who Cody really is and that it's genuine what he's saying. Robin says she wanted angels singing and a sign from God. We know that Christine, when she went to Coyote Pass, said she heard angels singing on that prairie dog playland when she wasn't in support of the Flagstaff move. How often do people hear angels sing? Is that a commonly used phrase in their culture? Robin says she wanted a eureka moment, a sign from God. Everything for these people seems to be about the supernatural and the spiritual, that God will take time from Godding to personally craft signs for them that are spiritual, to show them in a prophetic way, this is your path. 
To me, that seems a little arrogant and ridiculous, but I also understand that they're raised to believe any feeling they have is of a spiritual nature. There's no way it could just be the chemical releases in their brains tied to their emotions. It has to be spiritual and deep and bigger than them. And I think it leads a lot of people indoctrinated in their faiths to make choices based on these ingrained misperceptions and connotations that God is doing everything, not them, not their minds or their bodies. It's all God, some outside supernatural entity controlling everything. I think it lifts rational thinking and accountability and responsibility from people. And then many of them may make bad decisions based on this idea of God controlling everything they do and and in their lives and inside them. And it removes their individual accountability and responsibility. And I don't think that level of ingraining God into everything is healthy in my opinion. And that's just my opinion. I don't want to be offensive to anyone. That's just my opinion that the way that they're perceiving everything as coming from God and waiting for signs and symbols, I really don't think it's healthy. And I don't think that it's realistic. It's great to believe in God or to pray or to do whatever you like spiritually, of course. But to this degree, it's removing total accountability from yourself and placing everything on something external, on God. And in my opinion, I really don't think it's healthy necessarily or rational necessarily. While Robin was waiting expectantly and in an entitled manner as if she was owed this sign from God and entitled to it, she wanted to deepen her relationship with Cody. So Robin told her dad, who called Cody and gave Cody permission to court Robin, who was 30, at last. I can understand out of respect when you want to marry, having your husband ask your mom or dad or both for permission as a formality, but calling to give permission to court as if the father is the ultimate authority or owner over a 30-year-old grown adult woman with three kids who was married once is too much. It's way too patriarchal and way too antiquated in my opinion. And I understand that it's cultural, but personally, I would not be happy with that for myself at all. I am my own authority. I will make my own choices. I don't need another man's permission for what I do or say. You know, at 30, my dad uh, being my authority, giving me permission, giving the man that I'm dating permission to date me, I think that's weird. I can understand at the point of marriage as a formality to ask permission out of respect I mean, that would be the extent of what I would allow. And even that's, I mean, I'm going to, I would in the end marry who I wanted to marry. So uh, I wouldn't, you know, I would do it maybe out of respect, but it wouldn't, not everything wouldn't be riding on that for me. Cody says for a couple of years before he met Robin, he had been working in advertising, selling billboards as a sales rep. It was good to work locally, but it was a tough job to make a living at. Those types of jobs are commission-based in my experience. So if you don't sell, you don't eat. Cody says there were times where he could barely sell at all. The day Robin's dad called to grant him permission to court his daughter, his sales career was at an all-time low. Things were so tough that Cody considered selling his precious midlife crisis car, the two-door Lexus luxury convertible. Cody was broke, but he was still considering courting Robin. If I was Cody supporting 12 kids back then and three wives, 
I'd be considering finding a stable, non-commissioned salary job instead of courting a fourth wife with three kids. I know I absolutely can't afford, but these are the priorities of the Cody Brown. Cody was certain God would find a way for him to bring Robin in his life. Deflect to God and let God take responsibility and solve things when you don't get your priorities in order and take responsibility for your life. God probably doesn't mind. He or she doesn't have enough to deal with. If they're up there, God will do it. There's no need to find a job. Just let God handle it. Cody told his wives the news that Robin's dad has granted him permission to court Robin. And Robin was in Lehigh at this time so they could go on a date conveniently. Cody's wives were excited for him. Cody writes about his wives. Each of them had received the answer that Robin was meant to be in our family. In fact, Christine had received a more intense spiritual witness that Robin should marry me than she had received about her own marriage. Together, we teased Robin mercilessly about the fact that we all knew her destiny. My wives and I were in what Robin called the knowing club while Robin was still waiting for her answer. Christine didn't have a huge testimony on the show. She says she found out into it about Robin. She met her weeks in and it was after Cody and Mary were sold on it already and she was opposed to it and she suffered greatly. She told Cody she hated polygamy behind closed doors and that she feared Cody was replacing his family with Robin and her kids. So what she says on the show directly contradicts this intense spiritual witness Cody writes that Christine had in the book. Cody just wants to paint Christine as on board with this courtship when she really wasn't according to her own words on the show. Christine suffered greatly with this courtship. She was pregnant with Truly and she told Cody there were times she didn't want him to go away for the weekend and he was being unfair with his time leaving his pregnant wife and kids behind. It didn't feel like the ultimate destiny for all his wives and everyone wasn't on the same page about it. Janelle worried about the finances and Christine said Mary was sold hook, line and sinker and Cody had a testimony from God. And she said she didn't think it was time for Cody to take on another wife. She thought it was ridiculous, but it was already done. Her voice wasn't heard and she knew it wouldn't be heard for Christine. And Janelle, it certainly wasn't a prophetic experience and it certainly didn't feel like destiny as Cody paints it here. Of he and Robin's first date, Cody writes, On our first date over lunch, Robin and I confessed everything about ourselves to each other. Stretch marks, smelly feet, bad habits. We wanted to get all the silly stuff out of the way. When we got back in the car, it had rained slightly and the sky was beautiful with sunlight pushing through the rain clouds. I looked over at Robin. I love you, I said. I couldn't help myself. Saying those words was a relief, an absolutely cathartic experience. So, Cody said I love you on the first date. He just couldn't help himself. With Christine, he could barely get off of work for the wedding and he felt heavy and the weight of the world on his shoulders. His wedding day was a hard day. With Robin, he loves her after their first official date. With Janelle, they were friends who had to learn to see each other as husband and wife. With Mary, it was romantic and young love. 
With Robin, it was love, but not with Janelle and Christine, and they struggled to feel love and a romantic connection. It felt awkward. It wasn't an automatically loving relationship at all with them, more like the vibe of an arranged marriage making it work despite the lack of romance or complete marital compatibility. Robin says she may have loved Cody when he said I love you, but she still wasn't 100% sure. To me, it sounds like this is the first marriage or courtship where he is way more into the woman than she is into him. Robin wasn't going to say those words until she was 100% sure. Robin says words can be cheap and she wanted to be careful. Now that they were courting, Cody and Robin started seeing each other alone. It was time to get to know each other better, Robin says. Robin was hesitant. She didn't want to be rushed into a marriage or into a family she was unfamiliar with still. Robin writes, I know some people in our faith want a quick courtship and engagement, but I needed to build a better foundation. I didn't want to go to my wedding day and wedding bed with someone who was a relative stranger. In addition to God's testimony, I wanted a romantic love. Some of my sister wives were more interested in the sisterhood than in the husband. But perhaps since I'd been married before, I knew that I needed a man whom I loved, trusted, cherished, and adored. I also knew that asking for and receiving all these things is hard. What I find so interesting about this is Christine had said she wanted the family. She didn't just want the man. And when discussing Robin and her courtship with Cody, she said sometimes a woman just wants the man and that doesn't work. They have to also want the family and the sister wives too. So Robin would have to be spectacular. As far as what Robin states, her primary focus isn't the family. It's not the sisterhood or the sister wives. It's the man. And she goes on and on about putting the team ahead of her own interests while she repeatedly puts her own interests ahead of the team's. And here she makes clear in plain English that her main focus and concern is the man, not the family. She wasn't in it for the sisterhood or sister wives. She was most interested in the man and the husband. And look at where her entrance into the family got the family. Look at the destroyed dynamic. Look at what putting the man ahead of the family and her self-interests got the family. Cody doesn't speak to his older kids. Christine left. Mary is barely even an acquaintance for Cody to tolerate on holidays. He and Janelle are on different pages and have a strained relationship, it seems. And the only place Cody feels at home is at Robin's house, where he invests all or most of his time and energy. What did the professor who studies polygamy say about the dynamics of a successful polygamous family structure? Let's do a quick refresher. He says the success of the family in a polygamous lifestyle is highly dependent on the husband and the type of man he is, what type of character he has, and the personality type he has. Also, in successful polygamist family structures with healthy dynamics, the husband or family has to be well off and they have to be able to afford all of the wives and kids with no issues. The sister wives have to get along and each sister wife has to put the family and the needs of the other wives and kids ahead of their own self-interests. And the husband can't have a favorite wife and make it obvious. Showing obvious favoritism within the family, making it blatantly obvious who the favorite wife is. And the husband has to be fair and equal with time and resources across the board. Before Robin, 
Were things perfect with the Brown family, the ultimate example of polygamous bliss? I doubt it. But I would say it was healthier, less toxic, more balanced, and a more stable dynamic. Because although Cody had an ego, he did seem to do his best to be fair and equal across the board with his time and investment level and the finances. All the sister wives, Mary, Janelle, and Christine, put the team ahead of their own self-interests, and they all lived with that ideology as a priority, and Cody didn't appear to show such blatant favoritism. Now, I'm sure he would have a wife on the outs constantly, but I'm sure the troubling wife shifted from time to time, and the favored wife shifted, and it wasn't so obvious, and overall, Cody had the same level of investment with each wife. I don't think he was all in with any of them, but he had the same level of effort and investment with them all, and they lived that way for 16 years. And all the kids were raised together with the original three wives already in the family, and everyone was adjusted to the dynamics and the personality traits and the rotation. Everyone was happy enough and stable, and everyone operated with the ideology that the family came ahead of their own individual wants and everything was more level and stable, more or less, to some degree. Things were happy enough and stable enough, and everyone was on the same page of doing this for the family, everything for the good of the team. In came Robin, and Robin was focused not on the team and the family. Her primary focus was on the man and her relationship with the man and her self-interests and what she needed and wanted. And that mattered more than the team, and she didn't share the same ideology as Cody and the wives. Robin, putting Cody ahead of the family's interests and her relationship with Cody ahead of all else, made Cody favor her, and he liked being the center, and it was natural to him to want to please Robin and put her first and favor her and the team. And what was best for the team became replaced with pleasing Robin, favoring Robin and her kids. And Robin never favored the team. She favored Cody and her relationship with her husband, and that was more important than the team's needs or her sister wife's needs. And she needed Cody to support her, to give her a home, and she depended on him. And he provided, and in exchange, she allowed him to be the head of her family and the leader, all while she manipulates him to get her way, making him think it's his idea as she cooks those ego feasts and Cody gets to feel needed and authoritative with her while his other wives are difficult in his eyes and they make waves and they push to have their voices heard. The more the wives protest and are less easy and convenient as Cody likes them to be, the more he gravitates towards Robin, who is easy for him because she makes him feel like her authority, like the alpha male he perceives himself to be in his own mind. While his wives gripe and complain, he isn't being the father and the husband that he was once. He isn't all about the team any longer. But that's just my take on the Brown family dynamics as just a layman and a viewer, and that's all just my opinion, of course. Robin made a visit to see Cody, and she began to pray and fast to receive a sign of affirmation from God that she was meant to be with Cody and a part of his family. Praying and fasting must be a common theme in their culture because, as we recall with Robin, Cody prayed in the middle of the night, and with Mary, he prayed and fasted in the middle of the night Till he received his answer. He didn't want to rush into love. And here we have Robin praying and fasting as if if they forego food and put themselves in a meditative state weak from hunger, God will give them a sign when really they are just putting themselves in an emotional state and then taking that as their sign from God. 
Robin needed a concrete sign. She knew she was falling in love with Cody. She felt Cody breaking down her walls. Robin writes, I felt Shira putting away her sword. On one of our dates, we drove to Thanksgiving Point, a beautiful lookout where Cody had a billboard he was eager to sell. On this drive, I had a singular experience. I felt my heart start to swell. It seemed to be growing bigger in my chest. It even hurt. I started to feel out of breath, but also at peace because I was with Cody and he was wonderful. Suddenly, I felt as if the heavenly spirit was talking to me and I knew. This was my affirmation. I knew without a doubt that this is whom I was meant to marry. I burst into tears. Cody looked at me, wondering what was wrong. Then he began to cry too. We were both so overcome. My first thought is, in my opinion, allegedly that this woman might need a psych eval. Shira talks to her. The Heavenly Spirit literally talks to her. Last episode of the rewatch, she responded to, I love you too, to an imaginary unspoken I love you that she thought she heard Cody say, that Mary and Christine confirmed he never said, and she explained it away manically, speaking fast, not making eye contact, staring at the wall, as she explained to the wives why she pressured them to say I love you back to Cody on a speakerphone call with Christine when he didn't say I love you. So she wouldn't look like a delusional nut who not only responded I love you too to an unsaid I love you on a call between Christine and Cody, but she also knew it was inappropriate. So she tried to lie and say that Cody said I love you, asking the wives why they didn't say it back, pushing them to say it reluctantly, saying Cody said a group I love you that he never said. And Christine and Mary said Cody never said it. It was bizarre and it makes me wonder about Robin's mental state, in my opinion. If she has allegedly, in my opinion, potential issues or possible psychosis or what her deal is. And I am not a shrink and I'm not saying this, that I know this. It's just an opinion. But to me, this raises a lot of red flags. All I'm going to say is this is red flag territory. She speaks as if Shira is a real person screaming in her mind. She says she hears the heavenly spirit talk to her and she heard Cody say, I love you when he didn't last episode. So in my opinion, I would go get my head checked. But again, that's just my opinion as a viewer. My next thought is the heart swelling comment she made. She said her heart swelled with love for her sister wives. And she knew they let her court Cody because they wanted to see her happy. And that's why they allowed the courtship, because they wanted Robin to be happy. But here she says her main concern was the man, not her sister wives. And she uses the same lingo. Her heart swells. It just feels so basic and amateurish, the way she describes things, like a fifth grade writing project. Cody was planning to ask Robin to marry him on her birthday, but Cody couldn't wait a few days before her birthday. Robin told Cody an esteemed older man in their church had called to ask about courting her. Does that older man know she talks to Shira and the Heavenly Spirit and she hears things no one said? Cody was shocked and devastated by this news. My guess is Robin probably wanted it to be a done deal and she didn't know it was a matter of days. So rather than be patient and trust God and the process, she wanted to light the fire under Cody's feet because she's untrusting of God and the signs and symbols apparently. So she mentioned this man to Cody. Cody didn't have the funds to marry and support Robin yet, but he knew he had to find a way Robin told that man who called to inquire that she knew where she belonged. 
but Cody was still shaken by this inquiry. The next day, Cody and Robin drove back to Thanksgiving Point. As they sat there conversing, Cody was overcome with what he believed to be God's spirit. He took Robin's hand and asked her to marry him. Was Cody overcome by God's spirit or did he feel threatened by Robin telling him of this older man's inquiry and did he feel he had to secure Robin or she might go elsewhere? Was it God or ego and jealousy he felt in that car at Thanksgiving point? Cody says when he and Christine got engaged, she told Cody she would not kiss him until they were at the altar. He says after they married, Christine told him she had made a mistake and she made him promise that if he ever married again, he'd kiss his next wife before they said their vows. So Cody kissed Robin since he could never break that promise to Christine, of course. To honor Christine, he kissed Robin. And that must have been why Christine was so upset on the show when she found out that they kissed at the engagement, saying she didn't kiss Cody till the altar. And part of that reason was the etiquette, uh, and it was also inappropriate to kiss a married man. Janelle as well followed that etiquette because it wasn't appropriate to kiss a married man. So that's the typical standard in their family. Christine was very upset when she found out on the show so, which is true, did Cody promise Christine who begged him to kiss his next wife when she begged him to do it in the future because she made a mistake? Did Christine say it was a mistake that she didn't kiss him until the altar and to be sure to kiss his next fiance before the altar? Is that the truth? Because on the show, Christine was very heartbroken and disturbed that Cody and Robin kissed at the engagement. And she explained the etiquette was waiting till the altar because it's inappropriate to kiss a married man. And Janelle also followed the same etiquette during her courtship. But here, Cody paints it as, he kissed Robin to honor his promise to Christine, who said waiting till the altar was a mistake. On the show, Christine said it upset her that they kissed to seal the engagement because she followed courtship standards, as did Janelle, and they waited till the altar because it was inappropriate to kiss a married man before the altar. And she was very visibly upset and emotional on the show when she learned of the kiss in season one. As upset, if not more, as when she discovered Cody picked Robin's wedding dress. Is Cody lying in the book or is Christine lying on the show? What do you believe is more likely? Christine told Cody it was a mistake to wait to kiss at the altar and that he had to promise to kiss his next wife before the altar, knowing how it upset Christine so much when she discovered they sealed the engagement with a kiss. Also knowing she never imagined Cody would marry again, and that's the main reason she wanted to be the third wife, to avoid that suffering and upset. Does it seem realistic that Christine would be discussing what Cody should do if he marries again and that she advised Cody that if he marries again, he should kiss his fiance before marriage. Think of how upset Christine got on the show when she found out about the kiss before the altar. Is Cody lying in the book or is Christine lying on the show? You be the judge. After Cody kissed Robin, she left out of the car and she danced around. She was so happy and joyful. And Cody got out of the car too. And Robin jumped into his arms. 
Remember when Cody proposed to Janelle in the car when he got off of work late and he just put the ring on her finger in the cold and in the dark? What a contrast this engagement is to that one. The date of this glorious rom-com proposal was September 26th. And Cody says they wouldn't marry for six months. Now, if I remember correctly on the show, I believe Robin said her courtship was 10 months on their honeymoon special. And because it was so long, she needed the same time in the rotation as the other wives as a fiancé before she was formally a wife. And that was also why she deserved the 11-day honeymoon as well. So my question is, did they do the spiritual marriage way before they did the TV wedding reception? Cody says in the book the courtship was six months and Robin on the show says the courtship was 10 months in total, straight from her mouth. And when Robin and Cody kissed during Truly's birth, Christine didn't address it at all. Maybe it was hurtful or maybe Cody and Robin had already done the spiritual marriage way before the huge for TV wedding reception they had for drama and ratings. Is it possible they were spiritually married six months in and they did the wedding and reception four months later and maybe that's why Christine didn't get upset over Cody and Robbins making out during Truly's birth. The engagement kiss really upset and hurt Christine. It's just speculation on my part, but maybe Cody and Robin were spiritually married six months in and 10 months into their courtship for TV purposes. They did the wedding reception for show. And maybe that's why Christine didn't get so upset during Truly's birth when they were doing a lot of kissing as her water had broken and she was waiting for Cody to return to her as she was alone in the hospital during all that kissing. Truly's birthday is April 13th, 2010. So if they got engaged on September 26th and per the book, Cody says the courtship was six months, then March 26th would be six months and Truly's birth was on April 13th. So were they already spiritually wed at that point? That would make a six month courtship as Cody writes in the book. And that might explain Christine's lack of anger at the kissing at Truly's birth when she was so upset of learning that they kissed before the altar and they sealed their engagement with a kiss. On September 26th, which would have been just six and a half months before their makeout session during Truly's birth, a 10-month courtship, as Robin mentions, it was on the show, would mean a wedding day around July 26th way past April, and Christine likely wouldn't have been too pleased with Cody kissing his fiancée during Truly's birth, unless they were spiritually bound by that point. Either way, married or not, my opinion is it's distasteful and disrespectful and cruel and inappropriate to kiss Robin and go back for seconds, married or not, fiancé or not, as Christine is birthing Cody's child, waiting for him alone in the hospital as her water has just broken. This is just speculation, but doing the math, and given that Cody says it was a six-month courtship with the engagement September 26th, and seeing Christine's outrage at the engagement kiss on September 26th, but no reaction during the kisses during Truly's birth, it might be that they were spiritually married earlier on. But again, that is pure speculation on my part. And again, I want to point out the inconsistency of Cody saying it was a six-month courtship and Robin on the show saying it was a 10-month courtship during her honeymoon special. And she used the longer courtship 
as an excuse, saying it was longer and that length was unheard of in their culture to justify getting equal time to the wives as a fiancé and to justify the longer honeymoon as well. Cody says, referring to the engagement that happened September 26th, we wouldn't get married for six months. Cody says their lives were in upheaval and he couldn't support Robin yet. He couldn't even move her to their town, but he knew God, or maybe Janelle perhaps, would help him do what it would take to bring their families together when the time was right. I have a feeling Janelle probably had a lot to do with it. Also, if God exists, she has a lot to do. Could Cody not take a little off of God's plate and rather than just leave it to God, go do the work and take it into his own hands? Maybe take responsibility for himself and get a more stable job rather than relying on God to do a miracle you feel entitled to and relying on Janelle, which in my opinion, I believe he most likely did. That does it for this episode of Becoming Sister Wives Book Club. Next week, I'll delve into episode eight on chapter five entitled Mary. That should be a good one. I'll be back Thursday or Friday with my next episode on my Sister Wives rewatch covering season two, episode eight, entitled Sister Wives in Holiday Crisis, where the wives grapple with the fact that this will be their last Christmas in Utah and they struggle with the move to avoid the drummed up investigation threat for ratings. The AG made it crystal clear that unless the Browns were committing additional crimes other than their lifestyle choice, they would not be charged for living polygamy. So where was the threat when they knew unless they were committing other crimes, they would not be charged? Was Cody committing other crimes he had to run from? Or did they drum up the investigation and the threat for ratings and drama, moving for no other reason but a storyline Since the AG made clear they were not going to bring any charges from the investigation. It was not a threat. They would not be charged for their lifestyle unless they were committing other crimes. And the state also had a policy not to charge adults who consented to living in polygamy unless there were additional charges. And the county also followed the state's policy. So Cody and the wives knew unless there were other crimes being committed, there was no threat. So did they move to high due to other crimes or did they move under false pretenses for ratings and drama? We'll get more into the manufactured drama next week. That should be a good one. To my YouTube viewers, please like and subscribe and let me know your thoughts on all things Sister Wives. I always appreciate your insights. Thanks so much for listening. See you soon. Bye.